Good evening. It's good to see everyone here on a Wednesday evening, typically for a gospel meeting. Wednesday evenings are reserved for the, you might say, the home crowd. Since many congregations meet on, have their own assemblies on Wednesday evening, we don't have visitors oftentimes from other congregations. But we do have visitors this evening, and we are very thankful for your presence. It's encouraging to us and all of the members here who have been here and have shown commitment to the efforts here is encouraging that you are here as well. And I hope that as we study the scriptures together this evening that we might have a profitable study that would be good for all of us. If you would turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. This evening what we're going to be talking about is discouragement and how we deal with discouragement because this is inevitable. It is inevitable that we face trying times where we become discouraged. And how do we handle that when we face those situations? We're going to, in our lesson this evening, look at the example of Elijah and see how he faced this, even when it seemed like he should not have to face this type of this emotion and this response that he had to the circumstances he was in, might seem that from our perspective, we wonder why he felt the way that he did. But we're going to see why he had these this feeling of discouragement and how the Lord helped him deal with that as we look at this chapter. We're going to begin by reading the first four verses of 1 Kings 19. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid, and rose, and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And he, and he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life. For I am not better than my father's. Elijah, his prayer to God is something that we don't often think is you know, a godly, righteous, faithful man. Why would he offer a prayer like this, that he requested for the Lord to take his life? We don't need to think about this as him being depressed, as we often have to deal with depression or know others who deal with depression. He didn't have suicidal thoughts or anything like that. That's not what was going on here. Instead, this was a matter of Elijah feeling worn out in his service to God. That he had done everything that he had done in service to the Lord, and he wanted relief. He wanted his task on earth to be finished. He had, in chapter 18, just won a great victory for the Lord over the prophets of Baal. Remember what happened there where you had the contest there on Mount Carmel where you had Elijah against the 450 prophets of Baal. They both build an altar for their God. Elijah tells them to go first to make an offering to their God, offer no fire on that, and see if their God would answer by fire. And, of course, Baal since he is not a real God, no matter how sincere they may have been, no matter how much of a display they made, Baal did not answer because Baal was not there. 
Elijah, he made that altar. He put the sacrifice on it. He drenched it with water and cut a trench around the altar, filled that with water, called upon God, and God answered because God is there. God answered with fire down from heaven and consumed the altar and the sacrifice and licked up the water that was in the trench there. And Israel knew who God was. Israel knew that God was the true God and Baal was not. And then the prophets of Baal there on that occasion, they were caught, they were captured, they were killed. And that's what Jezebel is responding to here. May the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She was threatening Elijah with his life. And Elijah, even though he had just won that great victory for the Lord, he was tired. And he was ready for all of it to be over. Again, this was not thoughts of suicide. He wasn't thinking of taking his own life. But he was asking God for his mission to be over. There may be times where we feel like Elijah, where we just feel worn out in our service to God. It's not that we're, that we're considering leaving the faith or anything like that. Instead, we simply want our race to be finished. We want to be able to say, as Paul did in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. We want to be able to say that we've done that, that we are at the end of that course that we are running. When that's the case, when we feel that way, what should we do? What do we need to remember in those times? This chapter, 1 Kings chapter 19, as we look at the example of Elijah and God's response to him, helps instruct us how we should react to these feelings that we might have. Because we're all going to face discouragement. No one is going to escape that. So how do we handle that discouragement? How do we handle that weary feeling that we just want all of it to be over? First thing we need to do is that when we think about being weary and we just feel like we're worn out, we feel like we've done all that we can and we're just tired, we need to make sure that we're not becoming weary and becoming tired over the wrong things. We are not to weary ourselves in doing evil. Over in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 5, it describes the people there and, and their sinful condition. And it says in Jeremiah 9 and verse 5, Everyone deceives his neighbor and does not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. And it says they weary themselves committing iniquity. Everything we do takes something out of us and takes effort. And even when we are doing things that are wrong, we are committing iniquity. We might... Sometimes we're tempted to sin because we think, well, it's easier to do that than to refrain from doing that. Or it's easier to sin than to do the right thing. And in the moment, sometimes it feels that way, but we are still expending the energy and the mental strain that comes, especially when our conscience is still working, that we might weary ourselves in committing iniquity. And that's what the people here were doing. They had departed from God. They had gone into apostasy. They wearied themselves 
themselves in committing iniquity. Don't weary yourself because of sin. Don't weary yourself in the pursuit, the vain pursuit of earthly riches. We talked about in last night's lesson that there is a, when we think about how we gain wealth in this life, and we compare that to the good name of Proverbs 22 and verse 1, because both of those, wealth and our good name, our reputation, we build those the same way. We keep those the same way. We steward those the same way. And so we do need to be hardworking. We do need to be willing to make sacrifices, but we also need to keep things in perspective. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 8, it says that there was a certain man with, without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. Do we stop to think? Yes, we're to be hardworking. And when we apply ourselves, and when we work hard, and when we work smart, we might be able to accumulate some wealth in this life. But ask ourselves, why are we doing that? Are we doing that because we want to provide for our family, and we want to make sure that they are in the best position possible even after we're gone? We mentioned the verse last night in Proverbs 13, 22, that the good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, that he's thinking far in advance. Thinking, what can I do in order to help not just my children, but even my grandchildren? We might work and labor in order to have something to share with those who have need, to do good with that, to give to the Lord as we make our contributions to the church on the first day of the week. All of those, all of those things are good, and we are to work hard and do those things, but we also need to ask ourselves the question, why are we doing this? Because when we lose sight of why we're doing it, and instead we just think of, well, I just need to get more and more and just keep working, and, and we are not enjoying the blessings that God has given us, or we are not doing all of the work that the Lord wants us to do. The wise man says here, why don't we ask the question, why are we working the way that we're working? We are to work hard. We have to have a purpose for that. We have to have a godly reason for that. Because this too is vanity and a grievous task. We are not to weary ourselves in the futile pursuit of knowledge. Again in the book of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 12, the wise man said that, My son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. Even the mental work of studying and applying yourself to some, some course of instruction. That is tiring. That is work. It is wearying. And while we are to, if we're in school, be diligent in our studies, we may be, as we have a career and we're working, we may be studying to, to learn another skill that will help us in that career, to advance ourselves, to be able to do something like that. We are, of course, to study the scriptures and that takes time and that takes effort. We are to do that. But we also are not to be like those that Paul warned about in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7, who are always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're learning. They're spending their time 
in these different pursuits of knowledge, but it's not helping them serve God. It's not helping them do what the Lord wants them to do. So when we think about Elijah and we think about ourselves and how we might feel discouraged, we might feel weary. We need to be careful not to feel weary for things that we can prevent, things that we we should be avoiding sin. We should be working hard, but doing it for a purpose. We should be willing to spend time and effort studying and learning. But again, do that for a purpose. Do it for a reason. But why did Elijah feel weary? As we see here in 1 Kings chapter 19, he prayed to the Lord, as we read there in verse 4, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Then in verse 5 it says, He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because this the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So Elijah here, he receives help from God through this angel. He tells him to get up and eat. He takes food. He's strengthened. This happens a second time because of the journey that was ahead of him. But he goes to Horeb. He goes to the mountain of God. And while he was there, he explained to God why he felt the way that he did. Verse 9, it says, he, Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So twice he answers this question, why he was there, why he was there in the mountain of God after he made that request for the Lord to take his life. Why was he there? He explains twice why he was here. Why did he feel weary? He felt weary because he had been very zealous for the Lord. He had been busy doing what the Lord wanted him to do. That takes energy. That's work. And he had expended his energy doing the will of the Lord. Well, God expects this of us as well. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 it says that he gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. God wants us to be his people. And as his people, he wants us to be zealous for good deeds. 
that we are fully committed to do what's right. That this is something that is not something we do begrudgingly or when it's convenient, but we are committed. No matter what the situation is, no matter what the consequences are, we are going to do what is right. That takes energy. That takes work on our part. Why was Elijah weary? He had been very zealous for the Lord. He also mentions that the people had been unfaithful to God. It says there that in verse 10, after he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. But then he says, the sons of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they've killed the prophets with the sword. They had not been faithful to God. That's discouraging. When your brethren are not who they ought to be, when they are not faithful as they should be, that is discouraging. Unfortunately, we know that even when we think about those who are in the church, there are times where not everyone is going to be what the Lord wants them to be. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, that there are two paths that we can take. We can take the narrow way that leads to life or the broad way that leads to destruction. There are few, Jesus said, who will find that narrow way that leads to life. Many will go down that path that leads to destruction. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, we have an explicit warning here from the Holy Spirit. It says the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. So it's not just that, well, the world is going to go down the path that leads to destruction, but the church, Christians, they are the ones down the path that leads to life, that narrow way. They may start down that path. We are all headed down that path. Those of us who have become Christians and obeyed the gospel, we are all headed down that path. But Paul warned here something that the Spirit explicitly said, that some will fall away from the faith. Every generation you have brethren who get caught up in certain sins or certain things that that maybe previously we took for granted. Well, everyone understands that that's not what is right, or this is right. And we take it for granted, and then from one generation to another, then we have different issues arise where people are rethinking things. And they're looking at things differently than maybe they had before. There are a lot more people, and this is pressure in the Lord's Church as well, to rethink gender roles, to not Look at what the Bible teaches about the roles in the home or in the church and think that, well, you know, we can have the women, you know, they, there's nothing wrong with them speaking or leading in, in worship services or having a leadership role in the church because they're, they're just as capable. They're just as, just as smart. They can be just as wise as the men. And as far as their capability and their intelligence and their wisdom, that may be true. But we're not talking about the capability. We're talking about the roles that God has given. And there are, I've heard of even churches of Christ where you have more women who are taking those leadership roles and public roles 
in the worship service. And yet, what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, this hasn't changed. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. But this is something where some brethren have started to rethink this issue and say, well, you know, these women, you know, they're just as smart and just as capable, which again may be true. But what are the roles that God has given for men and women? Another thing that typically has separated brethren from other religious people is what's talked about in Colossians 3 and verse 16 and the use of instrumental music. Churches of Christ, generally speaking, stand out like a sore thumb in the religious world because if someone who is not familiar with churches of Christ maybe hasn't visited at, in an assembly of, of one of our brethren before or this congregation here, but they've attended other places, they've attended other denominational churches, one of the first things they notice is that there's not an instrument here that we don't worship with instruments. Why do we not worship with instruments? Colossians 3 and verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Why do we sing and not play? Well, it says because we are to sing, and that's what that verse indicates. There's no authority for the playing. There's no authority for the instruments. We have the authority for the singing. And sometimes there's a question like, well, does that mean that's for the worship service? And so in the worship service, we're to just sing. But when I'm in my home or when we're gathered together with a group of us, you know, then we can get the guitars out or the piano out and we can we can have these worship songs and have them accompanied with musical instruments then. I'll admit, I used to think that was okay. And what changed my mind on that, what made me realize that, no, it's not authorized then, just as it's not authorized in the assembly, is looking back at this passage in Colossians chapter 3, and you read through that chapter, and you see that there's nothing about an assembly that's mentioned. And so it's not about whether we're in the assembly or out of the assembly. The question is, are we singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? And if we are, then we have authority for singing and only have authority for singing. What about what the Hebrew writer talked about in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, where he said there in that verse, not forsake your own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Over the last year and a half, with the pandemic and everything that has happened, there have been a lot of brethren who have, sometimes for legitimate health reasons, have missed the assembly of the church. And, and we understand for legitimate health reasons why some would, would have to miss, whether it's for a virus that's a new virus that's going around or other factors, other sicknesses, other diseases, we understand when brethren have to miss. But I'm afraid what's happened with all the good that can be done with 
using the internet and social media. We talked about that on Sunday evening where we can broadcast messages like this one and other teaching. And sometimes it's tempting to think that, well, maybe I could go, but I don't know if I really feel like going or really want to go. And I can just you know, watch a sermon online or, or tune into a live stream somewhere and, and you know, that's going to be okay. We understand for legitimate health concerns why someone would be absent, why someone would be home. And someone in that condition, they know that they are missing something when they're not here. But too many over this last year and a half have become accustomed to just not being here and missing. And the Hebrew writer, what's interesting about this passage is that he says here, we are not to forsake our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Then he says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day was he talking about there? He was talking about, he's writing to Hebrew Christians. There was a day that was coming that was going to cause a significant amount of hardship to Hebrew Christians. And not just Hebrew Christians, but the Jews in general with the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. They were, they were going to face hardships. They were going to face difficulties. And knowing that they were going to face these difficulties, it made it all the more important that they were together. It's been a difficult year and a half that all of us have faced. It makes it all the more important that brethren are together and that we not forsake the assembly. Again, I'm not talking about legitimate health reasons why someone is missing, but it's important that brethren are together to encourage one another and to build one another up. And as we think about all of these things, these are just some examples. But when we think about how Elijah felt, they've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, they've not been faithful to you, God. It was discouraging to him. And it is discouraging when brethren are not faithful to the Lord today. That is a source of discouragement to us. Elijah felt weary because, as he explained, that they are seeking my life to take it away. He was being targeted for persecution. This required endurance on him on his part. He needed to endure that. We are told in Revelation 2 and verse 10 to be faithful until death so that we can receive the crown of life. And while that was written to the church at Smyrna, the principle applies to all of us. We know that because Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12 that all who desire to live godly in this life will be persecuted. We will face hardships and difficulties and opposition and persecution just like Elijah faced. That's difficult to go through. It takes endurance. And also, he believed he was the only one left. I alone am left. He thought he was the only one left who was faithful. This would be difficult for a couple of reasons. Number one, feeling like you're the only one left would bring a sense of loneliness, that you don't have brethren to encourage you. We talked about in one of our lessons Sunday, the need for all of us to be encouraging one another, to build up one another. And we just mentioned the passage in Hebrews about the importance of the assembly. It's, for, it's so that we can encourage one another and help one another, build one another up. When we don't have that, 
It's difficult to remain faithful and remain committed. It's not impossible. Paul talked about in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 16 that at his first defense, no one stood with him, no one supported him. But he knew the Lord stood with me. He was able to remain faithful. It's more difficult, but we can remain faithful even if we are alone and others have forsaken us. But this would cause him to feel weary, that sense of loneliness, and also thinking that he was the only one left would also bring an increased sense of responsibility that he needs to pick up the slack. He needs to be doing all of these things. We need to understand the principle that we can only do so much. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 12, we see what God holds us responsible for. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 12, it says, If the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. That passage is talking about giving, the giving that they were doing to help needy saints. You are responsible for what you have, not what you don't have. That principle will apply to other areas as well. We are responsible to do what we can do, not what we can't do. We need to understand what our limitations are. We need to understand what we can do and what we cannot do. We can't do everything. Sometimes that's a hard lesson to learn, but we cannot do everything. But Elijah, when he felt like he was the only one left, he was looking at this as everything's now falling on him to carry on the work of God. Well, that's wearying. That thought, that pressure that would be on him to do that. So Elijah felt weary. We sometimes feel weary as he did. What do we do when we feel that way? How did God respond to Elijah when Elijah requested for the Lord to take his life? Eventually he would take him up into heaven in a whirlwind, but it wasn't yet. How did God respond to Elijah? What did Elijah still have to do? What do we need to do when we feel weary? First thing is we need to trust in the Lord to provide. We read in verses 5 through 8 of this chapter that as Elijah lay there under the juniper tree, the angel came, he provided food for him. Two different times provided food so they strengthened him for his journey. The Lord was providing for him. We need to always remember that God will be with us. God will provide for us. Over in Psalm 37, in verse 25, there's an encouraging statement here. Psalm 37, 25, it says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. If we put our trust in the Lord, we do things his way. We will be taken care of. It may not be in the way we expect, and it may not be to the level that we have become accustomed to, as we've all been abundantly blessed in this life. But we will be taken care of. There's a promise in Hebrews 13 and verse 5 that God said that he will not leave us or forsake us. We need to trust in the Lord to provide. We also need to recognize the great power of God. Over in 1 Kings 19, verses 11 and 12, as we read there, 
Elijah went and the Lord was passing by. There was a great and strong wind who was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. The lesson there, I think, is when we look at that, you have this, the wind that's shattering the rocks, you have the earthquake, you have the fire, and all these things, great powerful things that are happening. God's not in that. What does that mean? God is greater than those things. Even though those things were very powerful reminders of the smallness of Elijah and who he was in the great scheme of things, it also shows the greatness of God because he is above all of those things. He is greater than the earthquake. He is greater than the fire. He's greater than the wind that can, that can break the rocks. God is greater than all of those things. We need to recognize the great power of God. Paul talked about this over in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, where he said in those verses, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We think about what God is able to do. He was the one who created the universe. He was the one who made life here on this earth. He is the one who continues to provide for us. We can understand the great power of God in all of the things that he has done. But even when we understand that, Paul understood that. But even Paul said that he is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Whatever we can imagine God has the power to do, he can do greater than that. We need to recognize the great power of God. And we need to, when we feel weary, when we feel discouraged, make our appeal to God. This is what Elijah did. In verse 4, he went to win a day's journey into the wilderness, came to the juniper tree, and he prayed, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. As we read in verse 10, he explained why he felt this way. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And then, as we read, he repeated that in verse 14. He was going to God. He was not complaining to other people. He was not finding a another prophet who was was serving the Lord. He's just complaining about him. Of course, he thought he was the only one left. He's not doing what we're sometimes tempted to do and ranting on Facebook about everything that's wrong in our life. He went to God. He went to God and appealed to him for relief, for his work to be finished, and explained to God why he felt the way that he did. When we face difficulties, when we face hardships, when we feel weary as Elijah did, we need to go to the Lord. Paul said over in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds, in Christ Jesus, when we are bothered by things, 
when we are worried about things, when we are stressed about things, Paul says, you go to the Lord. And what's important here is, is you can have the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. You make your request to God. To have that peace, you also are approaching God with thanksgiving. As you recognize, we need to always be mindful of how God has blessed us, no matter how discouraging our current situation is, no matter how dark it seems. We can still look and see how God has blessed us. We can still look at the blessings that he has provided for us, the hope that we have in him. So even as we're feeling discouraged, even as we're facing difficulties, express thanksgiving to God. So make those requests to God. Do so with thanksgiving. And Paul said that the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He said a little bit later in that chapter in verse 13 that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He knew that his strength was from the Lord. He looked to him and he trusted in him. What else do we see from the example of Elijah? Well, he continued serving the Lord. He felt weary. But after all of this, after this encounter with God, he did continue his mission. Verses 15 and 16 of 1 Kings 19 says, The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel, king of Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahalah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Elijah still had work to do. He still had things that he needed to accomplish in the Lord's service. We might feel down. We might feel discouraged, but we need to continue serving the Lord. Over in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3, the Hebrew writer tells us, after telling us to fix our eyes on Jesus in verse 2, he says in verse 3, Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Do not grow weary and lose heart. Continue serving him. Be faithful until death, Revelation 2 and verse 10 says. Elijah still had work to do. We still have work to do. So we may be discouraged. We may have different things that cause us to feel weary. We still have work to do. And so we need to be busy doing the Lord's work. And also what we need to do to handle these feelings that we might have is remember that there are others who are faithful. God told Elijah in verse 18, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All of the knees that have not bowed to Baal and of every mouth that has not kissed him. 7,000 people in Israel. That may not have been a majority, but it was a strong minority there in Israel. Elijah may not have known who they were, but they were there. And the fact that they were there, they were faithful to God, they had not bowed to Baal, was meant to be an encouragement to Elijah, that his work was not in vain. He was not the only one left. There were others who could carry on the work. 
We need to know that there are others who are faithful. And we may not know who they are. You look over in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. It says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And talking about this great assembly of those who are God's people, where are their names enrolled? It's not somewhere here on earth. We can't go down to some city somewhere, whether it's Jerusalem where the church was first established or some other place, some headquarters of the church in the United States. There's not one of those. But if there was one, we couldn't go down there and find a list of every faithful Christian that lives in this country. Those names are not enrolled on earth. Church directory is not the same thing as what we're reading about here. These are the names that are enrolled in heaven. And we may know some of them. We don't know most of them. Elijah may not have known who those 7,000 were, but they were there. We are not alone. We are not the only ones. And sometimes it may be discouraging thinking that we are. Or when we are assembling together, we're part of a congregation, and maybe it's a smaller congregation, and we think, well, it just seems like there's just not many people who are interested in, in the truth and interested in serving the Lord. That can be discouraging. But there are others who are faithful. And we could also mention that there are others who are seeking. Maybe we haven't found them yet. But remember that there are others who are faithful. And then the final point from Elijah's example here is that we need to find help and encouragement and relief from others. Verses 19 through 21 here, 1 Kings 19, says, He departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, when he was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again for what I have done to for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. He found someone who was able to help him and then eventually succeed him in doing the Lord's work as this prophet. We need help and encouragement and support and relief from others. That's what our brethren are four. Over in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, the Hebrew writer says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another, day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every one of us needs encouragement. Every one of us needs this support from brethren. And what that also means is that maybe right now we don't feel like Elijah did. Maybe we can't relate in this the situation in life that we're in that we don't really understand why Elisha would feel why Elijah would feel that way. If that's the case, be looking for others who do need help 
and do need encouragement because there are others who are discouraged. There are others at any given time who do feel weary as Elijah did. And maybe that's not you right now, but be looking for those who do need this help. And if you are in the situation where you do need this type of help and encouragement and support and relief, don't be afraid to let your brethren know that so that they can fulfill this responsibility that they have to encourage you and to help you in what you are facing. But there are going to be times where we feel like Elijah did here in 1 Kings 19. But let us not grow weary and lose heart, as the Hebrew writer said over in Hebrews 12 and verse 3. Instead, let us look to God. Remain committed to him, knowing that he will be with us. He will provide for us. He will help us. He will save us. Let's continue to serve him. Continue to encourage one another. And always keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Look at him who finished his work and now is ready to help us and save us. Look to him and do not grow weary and lose heart. As we close the lesson, we want to extend the Lord's invitation to any who need to respond to it. Maybe you're here and are not yet a Christian. If that's the case, we would encourage you to obey the gospel. You might, even though you're not a Christian, we talked about facing discouragement and hardships, and sometimes Christians face this. Well, non-Christians face that too. And there's really nowhere to turn that, like what we've talked about if that's what you're facing as a non-Christian. Real relief is found in Christ. Hope is found in Him. And so if you are not a Christian and you want to enjoy that, we would encourage you to consider the invitation that the Lord is offering to you. If you believe that He is the Christ and you're willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith, you can be baptized to have your sins washed away. And if you've done that, you've become a child of God, but you have not been faithful to Him, Maybe you have some sin that you've committed that's public that others know about. Maybe there's something that no one knows about but God. Whatever it is, repent of that. Pray to God and ask him for forgiveness. If we could help you or encourage you in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.